Welcome to the Amy Podcast, produced by the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, in partnership with the studios of Healthcare Tech Talk. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Amy Podcast. I'm Terry Baker. And I'm Kelly Hill. Kelly, the safety of our patients is the number one concern of all of us in healthcare. Absolutely, Terry. And part of ensuring our patients stay safe is looking out for those risks before they ever even happen. Of course, which I believe is what we call risk management. And today we have a couple great guests who are out every day in the healthcare environment watching out for those risks. Yes, we do, Terry. Today we have Jackie Mitchell. Jackie has been in risk management since 1992 and for the last 14 years has been the risk manager at Centara Norfolk General Hospital in Norfolk, Virginia. She has a BA in psychology from the State University of New York at Binghamton and obtained her BSN from Southern Illinois University. She worked as a nurse in various hospitals and taught clinical nursing at Norfolk State University. She currently has her ARM, CPHRM, and is a fellow in the American Society of Healthcare Risk Management. She has served three years on the Board of Directors for the American Society of Healthcare Risk Management, served as the ASHRM president during 2014, and is currently serving as past president. She has spoken on risk management topics at the local, state, and national levels. We also have Salim Kai. Salim works as a clinical safety specialist at the University of Michigan Health System, Office of Clinical Safety, and is passionate about the issue of patient safety. Salim was born in Lebanon in 1964 and immigrated to Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1983, where he has called home ever since. Salim began working in healthcare in 1987 in the Surgical Intensive Care Unit as a cardiopulmonary technician. He has since earned an Associate's in Biomedical Engineering, a BS in Engineering Physics, and a Master's in Patient Safety Leadership. He is a CBET and was Tech Nation's 2013 Professional of the Year. Salim takes great pride in what he does, especially being part of the HTM community. He strives to make meaningful contributions and build collaborative partnerships with like-minded professionals in an effort to elevate the HTM profession to new heights. Welcome to the show, Jackie and Salim. We're so glad to have you today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So let's start with a definition. What is risk management? And why does it matter in the world of healthcare technology? This is Jackie, and I'll start. Um, For me, who works in healthcare risk management, we think of it as an enterprise risk management. It promotes comprehensive framework for making risk management decisions, which maximize value protection and creation by managing risk and uncertainty and their connections to total value. In other words, we're looking at the whole enterprise of healthcare. We're looking at many domains, operations, the technology, the human capital, the clinical. We're looking at the whole picture of healthcare because all those pieces go together to um, provide safe care. Salim, your response? Hi, this is Salim. So I I typically work closely with medical devices, risk management. Mm -hmm. So from the health system perspective, we look at it, it's an ongoing systematic process to identify, assess, and monitor, and then prioritize, prioritize different types of risk with the intent to minimize and mitigate them. And then it also entails policies and procedures, training, and practices. So to sum it up, it's to identify risks and then analyze, evaluate the risk, and then control it and then try to mitigate it so no harm would occur. Also, from a healthcare technology management perspective, it, it's part of post-market life cycle management of healthcare technologies. 
So um, it's part of how clinical technologies are are acquired by the uh, by hospitals, for example, and then deployed in the healthcare environment. So it's all about how they're being used by clinical staff, patients, and then maintained by the HTM professionals, and then eventually they are retired. So throughout the life cycle of of the clinical technologies, it entails some some form of risk uh, pertaining to uh, medical devices. Thank you. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, as a clinician myself, Jackie, you and I both are, what does risk management mean for the patients? Ultimately, the goal is, of course, best practices and patient safety is of the utmost importance. But what does risk management really mean for the patients and their families? Well, hopefully it means safe and trusted health care. Um, and that is our ultimate goal, to provide safe care. Um, and through what we've already mentioned, that we identify we assess, we respond to anything that we think might be unsafe, and then we evaluate, put something in place, and we evaluate our practice, our policy, and then try to make mm-hmm. sure that that cycle continues. So we're always looking at risk, identifying them, um, mitigating them, eliminating them, and then hopefully ending up with a safe environment to give safe care to our patients. And Salim, how does that differ maybe from a medical device industry perspective? Sure. So risk management, uh, what it means for patients, it's really, it's all about the patient because it's about when the patient seeks the healthcare system that they have a safe, uh, if you will, safe journey, safe experience. They are um, they are cared for safely, uh, pertaining to uh, you know medical devices. They are not harmed or injured from medical devices. So it's about being cared for in a safe manner without with absence of harm. So that's specific to uh, clinical technology and medical devices. And in in enterprise risk management, risk management and technology is. We also like to say for um, enterprise risk management is ERM is the abbreviation. Everyone's a risk manager. So in the technology field, people like Salim are risk managers in that area. So we consider, we try to train everybody in a hospital, clinical, ambulatory setting to think like a risk manager. So again, that's he has taken on the risk management role in technology. So everybody's a risk manager in healthcare nowadays. Yeah, thank you, Jackie. In line with what Jackie is saying, and, and I, I, you know, I like to add. So, um, oftentimes when we talk about risk management in healthcare, uh, you know, oftentimes the, you know, the patient is forgotten, um, and we don't think much about the patient. But really, it, it, the patient is at the center of of all this, mm-hmm. and the patient needs to be recognized and, um, you know, acknowledged that. The patient is our customer, and um, we, you know we go to, we come to work every morning because of our patients, our customers, and we need to care for them in, in a safe manner uh, throughout their journey uh, throughout the healthcare enterprise. So, regardless of the setting, I think what I'm hearing the two of you say ERM might be accepted as let's say a basic risk management principle, maybe a universal guideline. And Salim, to your point, the patient being at the center of risk management maybe could be uh, another guiding principle. Mm -hmm. Do you feel, either one of you, do you feel that there are other basic risk management principles that ought to be universal? I think there is. um, Again, we encourage the multidisciplinary accountability 
so again, everybody is a risk manager and everybody is accountable for for their part of giving health care and safe and trusted care. Um, we also encourage like positive organizational culture, which would impact um, our ability to give safe and trusted health care. So we're always concerned about the culture of the environment that we work in. Let's see. Do you have any other thing that Celine that you can think of right away? Sure. In line of what Jack is saying, and and I agree with what her thoughts are. You know, it has to be a system priority. It has to be uh, incorporated as part of the culture, culture of safety of the uh, organization, along with you know all the other elements, full disclosure, you know the team, uh, interdisciplinary teams, and also from the from the medical device specific uh, approach, some of the principles. So, like for example, right now we don't have a. There is no clear method to to show or demonstrate that the device is safe prior to being deployed on the market. So oftentimes we encounter these situations after uh, a medical device is being used on a patient in a hospital, for example. I say that is because safety and, and uh, risk management may not have been incorporated at the design at the design phase of, of clinical technologies. So it, it's more reactive after the fact that we have to see how we can um, incorporate that. So these uh, definitely have to be some of the basic and um, ma- mandatory principles if we were to uh, be a proactive in, in mitigating the risks and caring for patients. Salim, I think you kind of touched on it there. Do you have much visibility given your experience with medical devices in how the medical device industry views risk, how they might approach it? Is is this example of design phase and, and testing a phase where they're looking at risk management? So, you know, the, the, the there are differences in, in uh, priorities for risk pertaining to uh, medical devices. So, you know, for us, like in hospitals and healthcare facilities, we want to, our main concern is prevent harm to patients and staff because they're users of technologies. And then, you know, we, we part of our process is to continue to monitor for any existing or potential harm or threats or unsafe conditions, and we try to eliminate them. But this is for us, this is after the device uh, or the product has been deployed on the market. So mm-hmm. it's part of the life cycle post-market surveillance of medical devices. Now, for the medical device industry, what we don't see or we'd like to see more of, it has to start at the design uh, phase the de- from a design standpoint. So the device overall operating risk has to be acceptable. And sometime we find that it is not. So for the for the manufacturers or, or the companies as part of post-market surveillance and throughout the life, total life cycle of the device, the manufacturer says they would need to continue to monitor, identify these risks. But if the hospitals are not reporting or uh, there is no effective design assurance case, then these risks are inherited in the device by patients and staff and users. I, I hope I have answered your question. Yeah. And I'd like to add that when we get a device in or when we're considering a device, a lot of times we look at the design and the human factors and does it make sense, you know, are the colors coordinated are the buttons the right color because if you naturally think that you would start with green and the first button that you would hit would be red um, it's confusing so we look at before we even buy a pump or a monitor we bring those things into the hospital and we try them out just 
to see if our staff can understand them and if they're easy to use. And then after they get into our facilities, we're always monitoring to make sure that if we have an issue with a pump and we check it out and it's not a a mechanical thing, we always look at to see could it be designed better. And if we have concerns about it, even if it's we're caught having user errors, a lot of times we will report back to the manufacturer or through the FDA our concerns about those devices. So it's you know it it goes from the technology people all the way to the clinical people and we all work together to identify technology issues and risk out there. That's great. We've talked about that some as, as a, a good idea and a good practice, but it's neat to hear someone actually being progressive and, and already having that process built into their you know evaluation phase and post-purchase management of the equipment training, things of that nature. Very neat. Actually, that begs a question for Salim. Salim, are, are you often invited to the table when organizations are thinking about purchasing new devices or they're looking at different technologies? Are, are you someone that is seated there? Because you should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. So, so we have, uh, at the University of Michigan, we have a very advanced process, uh, how we acquire technology. So typically, there is a committee that evaluates the products, and the committee is typically an interdisciplinary committee, which involves the clinical users from the actual departments that are going to be using the products or the devices. It also includes the maintainers of technology, the uh, biomedical engineering technicians, the clinical engineers that would have to respond to any issues with the use of these products. And also we have a a department called value analysis, which also they do an intensive uh, research and fact-finding about um, the particular technology we're trying to acquire. And there are other people from other departments, so it depends. It's a case-by-case, but typically, you know, sometimes IT professionals are also involved if a device is network-enabled and will be uh, deployed on a network, uh, enterprise network. So, you know, it depends. If it is a surgical instrument, then the surgeon would definitely weigh in and and the surgical staff. So, um, definitely is an interdisciplinary uh, approach to make sure that all the needs and, you know, the risks are, are uh, it, it, as much as possible. You never know 100% what's going to happen, but we take every step to make a, an educated decisions about the uh, the purchase and the risks, the potential risk. Thank you for that. Yeah, th- yeah thank you for that. You touched on it a bit there. How does risk management fit into the world of healthcare that's increasingly interconnected, uh, a system of systems? where uh, everything's interconnected and, and impacts each other. Yeah, they've, they've both actually started to address that. So it's a great question moving on. For me, risk management tries to get their nose under the tent of every tent we can find. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you know, <laughs> we, we try to be involved and we try to be, um, we know that there's a lot of risk out there and we try to avoid saying, no, you can't do this or you can't do that. But we, you know, we advise and we, we have a discipline, we have a way of thinking that, you know, we try to think of risk put them out there and then let the people who use this stuff or, you know, make these processes, um, let them decide how much risk they want to take on. Because sometimes you do in medicine, it's, it's not a pure science. It's a lot of it's art. And sometimes you have to make best decisions 
because you don't really know best practices yet. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. So we have to, you know, put our risk out there and decide how much we want to do, especially like when you're taking on a new service or uh, a new process. Sometimes you have to identify your risk and put it out there and see how much appetite your organization has for that risk. And if you do have risk, how are you going to manage them? So, again, we try to be involved in as much as we can. Um, and you know, like I said, we kind of train other people to be our risk managers out there having their eyes and ears going for us so they can, you know, come back to us with concerns. So we're a very open um, office. You know, they can call us anytime, 24 hours a day, whenever they need us. And it's, you know, very confidential if they want it to be or not. So we try to be very open about who we are and what we do. So on an on an organizational chart, there should be a dotted line from every department to risk management. <laughs> it could be. Sometimes we feel like that. <laughs> Salim, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, of course. So, so um, what we're seeing today uh, in the past several years, you know, clinical and information technology technologies continue to converge, and the line, the separating line between them, is blurred. So what we're seeing is what we are seeing are um, very complex systems that we need better methods and system tools to standardize and risk management has to be incorporated as uh, a system priority, part of the system to try to understand, learn, understand and mitigate these risks. So whether on the industry side or on the healthcare facility side, I think first and foremost, the fitting risk management in this complex uh, healthcare world has to start, uh, first and foremost, it needs to start from the leadership uh, in the company or organization. So leadership has to show that risk management is, is, is part of the system, is, is a tool that we need to try to provide the best and most efficient and most costly, the best costly uh, care possible. And, and then explain that, the necessity for risk management, but more importantly, as risk management program, they need to be evidence-based and data-driven. So what that means, the uh, the company or the hospital has to gather uh, data to show uh, the importance of risk management in a complex world. And then from there, you can show and be able to measure the effectiveness and cost savings of that risk management system. From an organization view, springboarding from that, what uh, what sort of requirements do you feel that healthcare technology needs for risk management that might not already be in place? Part of the legal system today is that is deny and defend, so hide everything. But what we're trying to do with with risk management and patient safety is to take a, a proactive approach, and that entails voluntary reporting issues and problems that really no harm occurred. So we're trying to engage the manufacturer before harm occurs. And when issues are, you know, when we discover and perceive these issues, we try to engage the manufacturer before anybody is hurt. So uh, being transparent is, is key. And, and um, this, this is, uh, you know, more transparency and data sharing is desperately needed among, say, hospitals, manufacturers, you know, the FDA and other regulators like the Joint Commission. So right now, there is no clear, there is no clear way or method that exists for 
you know, prior to like buying the device, you don't know. I mean, you, you take it for granted that it is FDA. What, what often customers or hospitals think that it's FDA cleared, so that equates to it is safe. But mm-hmm. in reality, it is, it, it's not necessarily because it's been cleared for market, but does not equate to being safe. And there is no method that today exists that determines that devices are safe before they are put on the market. So um, safety and, and risk management are not are not sufficiently considered during the design phase of products. So it's 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 a huge problem. It's a huge gap, yeah. That kind of yeah. leads to the next. That kind of leads to the next question. In that, are advances in healthcare technology outpacing our ability to effectively manage risk? That that's it's kind of a scary question because we hope not, but with all the different systems and technology intermingling with each other and working off of each other. And, you know, sometimes you have as many as 40 or 50 software information systems working together, feeding in and, you know, things coming out. So it's, it's kind of scary um, because sometimes you may not identify that one system's affecting another system. So you constantly have to be vigilant. You have to become a high-reliability organization. You have to be obsessed with um, looking for failures and obsessed to defer to the experts. So when someone's saying this doesn't look right, you got to kind of look into it and make sure that it's, it's working right. So there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle there, and it is difficult to, to keep track of all the changes that are going on and how they affect just like when you change your, give me an example, in your documentation system, your electronic health record, when you make one change, an upgrade, you don't know how it's going to affect some of the other pieces of the medical record. Mm-hmm. Where you usually find this, it's now been moved. Mm-hmm. And that might be something very important that you always look for, and now you can't find it. Say they move your allergy someplace, and it's difficult to find. So you have to be very careful when you bring all the technology in to make sure that it's working well. Yeah, I I, uh, I totally agree with Jackie's thoughts in, in line with what she's saying. The answer to the question is yes. So technology is outpacing our ability, and, and that's because of the increased complexity with interoperability and cybersecurity challenges. So what used to be one box, one medical device, one piece of equipment in, in the past, mm-hmm. uh, today it is it is network enabled, it's talking to other systems and devices on uh, one or more networks. And there are multiple systems being affected when something does not work as intended. So in the past, when a problem happens, it could be resolved by a biomed tech or one person or a, a technician, a clinical technician. But today, when a problem happens with these systems, it requires a team. So it's a teamwork effort that spans across multiple departments. So things have become much more complex in nature and they span over, say, IT technology department, you know, that involves medical devices, a, a particular clinical care area like the ORs or emergency department. So the environment, it could be one or multiple environments of care. So more, more disciplines, more clinical, non-clinical, managerial, administrators, uh, engineering, IT. So it's required to collaborate, come together and try to understand, dissect the problem and say, 
How can we best solve this problem before uh, something bad happens? And oftentimes, there is no one fix or a simple fix. The solutions are complex, just like the problem. And this is something we, we did not experience, say, like uh, 15 or 20 years ago uh, or even 10 years ago. Yeah, and I agree. When you have a problem now, it takes a lot of time. It's not something you can fix a lot of times like you used to be able to fix. So you have time, you have you have people that have to put in the time. And you also have to have a supportive administration who's willing to say, you know what, we're not comfortable with that OR. There's a problem in that OR with the software problems and the technology and some of the equipment in there. So we're willing to shut down that OR. And that's, that's a big, big decision because it's you're losing income. Sure. But if you really say you are a safe institution, you will take that time to shut down the OR and work out and identify where the root cause of that problem was. So it's a big commitment, you know, all the way from the top, all the way down to, you know, the technologists who are working on it. So it's a big commitment that everybody has to be kind of on board with. And you are absolutely correct, Jackie. And, and having said that, What's the practical business case to be made for why risk management's important? Oh, it's it's hard to show things that we prevent. We've always in risk management, mm-hmm. we've always mm-hmm. wrestled with that, you know. Over time, I think we can show it. I think we can show it with, you know, less harm to our patients. But I think you can also show it with your staff. You you have a more satisfied staff, a more stable staff or um enjoy coming to work. I think you know, the culture improves. There's more willingness to be transparent. So I think a lot of it's not tangible, but it is part of that, that your culture increases as far as safety, your transparency increases, your commitment to safety. You know, it becomes the center of your strategic plan. It all gets focused that way. And I think that's where you get your return on your investment in risk management. Proactive dollars are significantly less than reactive dollars. Correct, (laughs) correct. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, like like Jack is saying, it's difficult to to, uh, show the the worth and and how valuable risk management can be. But, uh, you know, if it is evidence-based and data-driven and you have a web-based electronic reporting system, then you're continually 24-7 collecting data and analyzing data and uh, try to uh, create uh, process improvements. But the point is that if you can measure the, you can measure what the issues are and, and what effective uh, solutions, then you can correlate the number of order reduction and malpractice claims towards the organization over time and try to quantify them in a, with a dollar amount. So that would in parallel with like implement process improvements initiatives and with different with different clinical problems and then to continue to improve the overall how we deliver and the quality of care. So that that could be uh, a, a business case that is based on evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, at at University of Michigan, what we have done is so risk management was combined with the Office of Patient Relations and the event review team as part of a QI, and then that's how the Office of Clinical Safety was uh, formed. So it was uh, d- different groups and, and uh, teams. Yeah, I think we we heard one of your um, colleagues from the University of Mission speak at the last Amy conference, didn't we? Yes, yes. Uh, that was uh, uh, Rick Boothman, our chief risk officer and the um, executive director for uh, Office of Clinical Safety. He Did was it- the keynote speaker. 
He did Correct. a great job. It yeah, was a great, was, inspiring uh, yeah. talk. He was Wonderful. excellent. There is something to be said when you can look at your claims and you can put faces on your claims and you can see them disappearing and, and going down every year. That is something that, you know, when you show it back to staff and show, you know, here's where we were five years ago and this is where we are now. Right. And you can put stories and, and people. These are real people and we've made a difference. Yeah. So that, that is really important and, you know, we don't probably celebrate it enough to show, you know, where we're going and what we've done. Sometimes staff don't realize it until you kind of yeah, put you gotta, a face on those those events. Until you, gotta, until you personalize it. Share That's those right. stories and celebrate those wins. Yeah. Speaking mm-hmm. of, actually, I know that was our last formal question, but I'm curious, do you both remember the time or the event or what occurred that attracted you both to risk management? Is there... A story there? I do. I was working as a nurse in St. Louis, and I was working in the ICU, and I came in the next day, and a patient that I had had that got transferred to another unit had died suddenly from a medication overdose. Mm. And it was shocking because I didn't realize that that medication that was sitting always on our shelves and we used and mixed our own IVs could kill a patient, you know, if it was used the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And it made a very dramatic effect on me. And the good thing is the hospital pooled, it was potassium, the hospital pooled the potassium from the shelves of every nursing unit. And so I was very proud of that hospital to do that. Absolutely. Of course, that was in the 80s and I moved to the East Coast or to another hospital, and there it was sitting on the shelves again. How about that? So when I came into risk management in that hospital, which was my first risk management job, one of the first things I did was to march down to the director (laughs) of pharmacy and say, look at all this stuff. Do you Mm -hmm. really want this potassium sitting on the shelves? Mm -hmm. And, you know, with enough evidence, I was able to get him to pull the potassium off the shelves. So that was like, you know, that's one of my first things like we can make a difference. We yeah. can really make a difference. Sharp. Very so, sharp. So, so you know, that's that's why risk management is important to me. <laughs> Great story, Jack. <laughs> that's good. Salim, what so, about you? Do you remember? Oh yeah. So so um you know my 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 journey really it's a journey. So um I've been working with uh, healthcare technology and, and uh, devices um, since the the late 80s. But, you know, I worked myself as a, a biomed tech for years. And then I worked in different roles. I worked as a, a, a imaging engineer, uh, taking care of imaging uh, systems. And then I owned my own business, consulting. And, and then, then I worked as a clinical engineer for about uh, seven years. And... Um, when I worked as a clinical engineer, part of my daily duties was to review uh, patient safety report forms filed by clinical staff. That's when my uh, my first exposure was to uh, risk management and patient safety. So by by uh, re- uh, analyzing, reviewing, and following up on the issues, talking to clinicians throughout the health system, and we did uh, probably two to three thousand a year. And so after many of them, and then I realized I need, I need to learn more about uh, this patient safety field. <laughs> so what I, what ended up happening, I applied, uh, I went back to school for a, a master's in patient safety from um, 
University of Illinois uh, College of Medicine in, in Chicago, and, and uh, that, that certainly transformed my life, my view on patient safety and, and how it fits in healthcare. So that was a, changed a lot of my views on patient safety, and, and uh, so it was a very logical, um, planned uh, decision, and uh, I'm, so good, I'm so glad I took that path because uh, it's been a wonderful experience with, um, you know, with everyone. Thank you. One more thing to add, I think working in risk management, I feel like I make a difference. Um, you know, mm-hmm. other people work in other places, mm-hmm. but I feel like I really make a difference in the safety of our patients and our staff and, and the healthcare and the community in general. So I, it, it's a feel-good job. It sure. really is. That's what most I'm, of us want to do, right? Yeah, right. Well, and, and I know that these two are actually very passionate about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, <Terry. laughs> Well, prior to uh, as we come to the end of the uh, episode, do you have a final thought you'd like to share with us about risk uh, management and especially as it may pertain to medical devices or medical equipment in the hospital? Um, For me, I think it's just to encourage um, risk managers and technology people to really become partners in care um, because, you know, we need each other sometimes to work together. Um, We need to, you know, put our perspective on it, and then they need to give our, them our, their perspective. So we need to work together. Um, we can't do it ourselves. We have to work as a team. Great so, perspective. Great yeah. perspective. Any parting thoughts on, on your part, Salim? Yeah. So um, first of all, thank you for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been great talking to both of you and, and to Jackie. Uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, risk management is part of patient safety and uh, any organization that is looking to be a leader and pioneer and innovative in providing safer, more efficient, more uh, save on cost care, they need to incorporate that as a system priority. It has to be part of the day-to-day operation. It has to start from top down, from the top leadership to the frontline staff. It has to be uh, part of their policies and procedures so it is an important piece, and without it, we cannot be uh, transparent and truthful to our patients. So uh, it's very—it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's very rewarding when uh, you know, like at University of Michigan, we've been able to have many success stories. And uh, part of providing patient-centered care, patients and families are part of our teams, and we—they help us solve problems. So when you are able to successfully implement it like that, then you um, it's very rewarding and, and it's, it's the right thing to do for, uh, for, for, for humanity, for people. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you both again for joining us on the show and we wish you the best in your risk management endeavors and, uh, and maybe you'll join us again. Thank you. Thank you to both Kelly and Terry and Jackie. Mm-hmm. Also, we want to thank you, our listener, for joining us for this episode of the Amy Podcast. And don't forget, the Amy Annual Conference is coming up June 5th through the 8th in Denver, Colorado. To find out more about the Annual Conference or other goings-ons at Amy, go to the website, aami.org. For this episode of the Amy Podcast, I'm Terry Baker. And I'm Kelly Hill.